Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Julie R., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, July 3rd, and it's a 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time meeting. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are at page 82, the second paragraph, if we have no such complications, reading through two paragraphs, ending with, ain't it grand that the wind stopped blowing? Comments will be on both. Today's readers are Melissa C., Rachel W., Russ M. The share ID for Monday, July 2nd, 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time meeting is 11,606. For the 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time meeting, it's 11,608. Away preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer, our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Sage S., to read the 12 steps. Uh, Star one to unmute. Sorry, I was having trouble getting unmuted. Um, This is Sage S, Recovering Compulsive Overeater. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, We're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for allowing me to do service. Thank you, CJS. And I will now ask Toby Kay to read the 12 traditions. Hi, it's Toby Kay. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Thank you. 
Uh, tradition one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon uh, AA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for AA membership is the desire to stop drinking. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or AA as a whole. Five, each group has has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the alcoholic who still suffers. Six, an AA, an AA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the AA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every AA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Alcoholics Anonymous should never should, I'm sorry, should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, AA as such would never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible in those they serve. Ten, Alcoholics Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the AA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personality. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Toby Kay. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic in literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page 82, the second paragraph, if we have no such complications, reading through two paragraphs ending with, ain't it grand that the wind stopped blowing? Comments will be on both. I will now ask Melissa C. to begin reading. Hi, good morning, Julie. Good morning, everyone. It's Melissa C., recovered compulsive reader in New York. Um, If we have no such complication, there is plenty we should do at home. Sometimes we hear an alcoholic say that the only thing he needs to do is to keep sober. Certainly he must keep sober, for there will be no home if he doesn't. 
but he is yet a long way from making good to the wife or parents whom for years he has so shockingly treated. Passing all understanding is the patience mothers and wives have had with alcoholics. Had this not been so, many of us would have no homes today, would perhaps be dead. The alcoholic is like a tornado roaring his way through the lives of others. Hearts are broken, sweet relationships are dead, affections have been uprooted, selfish and inconsiderate habits have kept the home in turmoil. We feel a man is unthinking when he says that sobriety is enough. He is like the farmer who came up out of his cyclone cellar to find his home ruined. To his wife, he remarked, don't see anything the matter here, Ma. Ain't it grand that the wind stopped blowing? Uh, Okay, so Melissa C. recovered in New York. I'm going to start my timer. Um, You know, so... Yeah, so if you had no complications like infidelities that they talked about before, um, you know, yippee, <laughs> right? Like, it doesn't mean uh, you cause no harm. And um, so that's my truth. I cause plenty of harm without having extramarital affairs and relationships. And, you know, what jumps out at me here is um, the selfish and inconsiderate habits, you know, that my ways are selfish and inconsiderate. And that's true whether I'm sober or drinking, you know, abstinent or not. And so abstinence alone is not enough. You know, my, um, it's ludicrous that I could think that being abstinent, you know, is is the only thing I owe my family, is the only, you know, is the only amends I have to make. Um, you know, but this is just the start. Yeah. I need to be sober. I need to be abstinent. But not just for the sake of abstinence. You know, I'm not, abstinence is not the end goal. And I think, you know, like that's the confusing part when you first come in. You think, oh, my only goal is to get abstinent. And if I'm abstinent, everything is great. That's just the beginning. You know, my being abstinent um, is not so I can grow in skinniness and beauty. Like my family yeah, really great, Mom. You look good. So what? You know, it really means nothing to them. It's what am I giving to them now? And, you know, yesterday's reading, it, it clearly stated that we need to keep the other one's happiness uppermost in mind. And this is true for my family. From here on out, um, you know, I treated them horribly. My my disease made me selfish. Um and now in recovery, I cannot be that same selfish person. Um, you know, it means that I have a lot of repairing to do. My disease kept me from being actively participating. I participated minimally in anything physical with my family. Um, you know, I sat on the couch. I shouted commands. So, like, my amends is to, like, get up, do things. You know, some of the greatest gifts I give my family is doing stuff without expecting a monument to be erected for me. You know, if I do the dishes, if I clean up, if I, you know, um, help out in the house, I don't have to call any attention to it. And, you know, I love, and really quick, like in the family afterwards, it says, since the home has suffered more than anything else, 
you know, it's well that a man exert himself there. And I'm not going to get far in any direction unless I show unselfishness first under my own roof. Um, thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa C. Okay, so we're going to do – I know everybody's going to want to share. Um, so if we could say um, your name once, and I will write as fast as I can. And who would like to share on these awesome paragraphs? Ginger C. Larry I heard Ginger C. and about four people before Larry. Can we try that again? Janice, Janice P.M. Janice P.M. Kathy K. Okay, uh, way before Kathy K., there was two people. Lindsay B. Richard B. Okay, Richard, Larry, Kim, Kathy K. Or Kim's after Kathy K. Okay, let's do that. Okay, so I have Ginger C., Janice P.M., Lindsay B., Richard K., Larry K., Kathy K., and Kim G. So go ahead, Ginger C. Oh, thanks, Julie, and thank you for your service this morning. This is Ginger C., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Colorado. And I just love this beginning sentence. There is plenty we should do at home. So an alcoholic in his cups is an unlively creature, and it engulfs all whose lives touch the sufferers. And, you know, I was in great denial with my food addiction because I'm an alcoholic as well. And I always dismissed my eating because I thought, well, Ginge, you're not driving drunk with the kids and you're not, uh, you know, getting high and getting wasted and blacking out. And then, of course, as this disease progresses, which it will, you know, those blackouts happen because your body can't sustain the food that you're putting in. And so your body starts blacking out and passing out. So, you know, drunk on food, that was my MO with these kids and my husband. And I was distracted, I was distant, and I was disconnected. They did not feel me. They did not. They saw me, but that's about it. So when I, my daughter was young, she named me Nummy Num Num. That was her nickname for her mother because that's what she felt, numbness. We're like zombies just walking around because that's the reality of what happens. Once I start, I cannot stop, and I'm all about the food. If I'm not eating it, when am I going to eat it? What am I going to eat? And where am I getting it? And then again, this disease progresses. So then I became bedbound. My last 18-month binge was horrific. The last two months, unbelievably painful. I was in a bed, just like my hospice patients, when they started the dying process, they're bedbound. And that's the way my kids would come home from school to find their mother still in bed. And a lot of people that know me, they know that's just not the person who I am. But again, we're Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. It's like a 180. When I eat, this is where I go. When I'm alive, connected with the higher power, keeping me safe and protected, I show up in this world a whole nother way. So there is this long period of reconstruction. But, you know, these sweet, sweet relationships that were once dead, they can get righted. And that's what's so beautiful. That's what's so powerful with this recovery because no matter what the question, love is always the answer. And these family members, they need it more than ever. First and foremost, I always go to God, but my family is second. They have gone through hell with my food addiction. They still, two and a half years being out of the food, they're still scared that I'm going to pick it up because they love seeing who I am now and they love feeling their mother and they don't want to lose me. 
So, you know, I love back on page 19, it says, a much more important demonstration of our principles, these 12 steps, lies before us in our respective homes, our occupations and affairs. And that's where it's hard. But that's where it matters most. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Ginger C. Janice PM, followed by Lindsay B. and Richard B. and Larry K. Go ahead, Janice PM. Well, thank you much, my dear. Uh, my name is Janice PM, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. If we have no so, if we have no such complication, there's plenty that we can do at the home. Now, you know, we were talking about infidelity, domestic problems. Um, that's bad enough. I mean, being a compulsive overeater in the actions that I took in my family is bad enough. But take taking consideration of the infidelity, then the relationship is dead. Um, you know, so there's a lot of damage that compulsive overeating has done to my home and um, my behaviors. Um, so the necessity to clean up after the storm. The storm, the storm, um, you know, when they say, uh, when it says here, it's like a tornado. A, what's a tornado? Well, I live in Boston. We don't have tornadoes, but we certainly have hurricanes. And uh, a tornado is destruction. It's destruction roaring in the lives, in the lives of others, my husband and my son. And, of course, I was so in, I was so unthinking so inconsiderate of what they of what I've done that because I'm so selfish because you know I'm more you know I'm selfish and self-centered didn't even think of them how can you think of them when you're going through this and poor me you know I'm not eating now and blah 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 and just because I'm all done and and I expect my expectations of them would say oh okay now Janice isn't that wonderful you're not eating and blah 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 we forgive you for this and that no they're still in tremendous pain that I never thought they would be, because how could I be? I'm unthinking, you know. And when there's a tornado, you know, boom, it, it happens quick, you know, and it's a devastation. And my family couldn't go anywhere, you know. When there's a tornado or a hurricane, you usually, you know, the government will probably put you up in the school or whatever, but my family couldn't go anywhere. They were still here with me. Um, so, you know, but I wasn't... I thought that, oh, geez, you know, I'm abstinent and I'm getting recovered. You know, you should really think that I'm wonderful now. And, of course, this this is not true because after a tornado or a hurricane, it's the beginning of a new construction. It's a process. What to develop a new building or to develop, for me, a new life, a life in which we grow more in knowing and caring, carrying out God's will. And that takes time, <laughs> a lot of time. But, you know, my higher power shows me the ways in making amends, because that's what we're doing here, to do our best cleaning up our lives, living up to our words, because it's not what we say, it's what we do. And uh, we're learning. You can just time me when I'm through, hon. Um, it's uh, time. The ex- <laughs> Okay, time, time. <laughs> thank you. I figured I was done. All right, thank you, and I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice. Thank you, Janice PM. We have Lindsay B. followed by Richard B. and Larry K. Go ahead, Lindsay. Good morning, fellow visioners. Uh, this is Lindsay from New Hampshire. I'm grateful to be on the road of recovery and uh, grateful to be, be teachable 
and um, oh my gosh, yes, I love this uh, uh, this this paragraph. Um, the tornado, um, the idea that sobriety is enough, and um, I'm uh, my marriage of um, twenty um, I don't know twenty six twenty seven years um, ended four years ago. We we are um, separated, but we're we're definitely going to take the next step, and um, and one of the reasons is because. Um, it was I was ready to leave the marriage, and what I realized is that um, I really know was really aware of how much destruction I had caused. The destruction that I had caused, being in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out, you know, and um, nobody ever actually came to me with that frothy emotional appeal, um, but except for me because I knew what I was 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 doing. And I don't my my children weren't able to really voice it, and um, but but I I, I know that uh, because I grew up with the same thing, um, mother in particular who would just be ama- this amazing woman, and all of a sudden she would change, and I just never knew. So so how that affects us, this sense of you know, how is someone going to show up today, walking on eggshells, and um, mixed messages. So I'm really aware of the mixed messages. And, um, you know, my um, um, husband did decide, you know, he, he said, I, I'm an alcoholic and he worked program for a long time and he got sober and then he stopped going to meetings and it was, well, what more do you want? I'm sober. And um, and I there's no blame there because I was doing the same thing in a different way. You know, I, I knew I needed to be sober. He decided that he didn't need um he didn't need uh, to go to meetings anymore. He didn't need to work a program. And now we're not together. However, our relationship is is so amazing. Like, how can I make amends to my children? I can't change the fact that they lived in a in a marriage with a lot of tension. But what I'm doing now is the relationship with my with my husband, um, you know, who I'm separated from, is more beautiful than it's been in many many years. Because of this program, I have learned to be tolerant, loving. And we are kind together. So my children are witnessing parents that are no longer together, but are able to um, to to be civil, to be loving, to think of each other, to put the children first, no matter what. And I'm so grateful to that. And I just want to say that that I I I'm turning 60 today, and it's been a year of almost like preparing for this because this feeling of oh my gosh, am I ever going to get it together? And I cannot believe the gift like I was loving my aching joints this morning thinking isn't it amazing that I could have a moment of oh I'm aching and I have all these wonderful things to do today and that wasn't true a little while ago you know I wake up woke up feeling heavy and empty and um, very grateful and with that I pass and happy birthday um so Richard B followed by Larry K and Kathy K and Kim G go ahead Richard Thank you very much. My name is Richard B, and I'm a grateful, recovered compulsive overeater in Cork, Ireland. Uh, yeah, the first sentence there, if we have no such complication, there is plenty we should do at home. And for me, there was that complication, so I interpret that as if we have such complication, there is plenty more we should do at home, even more so for me. Um, yeah, the tornado. Um that, you know, as when I was in the food and even if I've 
just put the absence first and thought of nothing else. I'm even more of a tornado. And I have to realize what that brings to my family. Um, because if I'm just putting my absence first, then I'm like a dry drunk. And my, my anger comes out and my irritability especially comes out. And I have to be so careful and pray for that character defect to be removed every day. Um, it's, it's, a, it's the second half of step 12 for me. It's the practicing of these principles in all our affairs. And, um, you know, as I was saying, for me, if I don't put those principles first, everybody else suffers in my life. Um, so and how do I put that? How do I put that first? Um, how do I put those people first? Well, it needs to start with my higher power. And on a daily basis, I need to pray for those defects of character to be removed in God's time. Um, I've got to make sure that there's no self-control there. I'm wanting them removed straight away. Um, so, yeah, I'm grateful for today. I'm not just putting abstinence first. I am putting the program first. And... I am working these principles in all my affairs. And if I, if I snap out to somebody at home, um, my mother is usually the one that receives that most often um, because she's elderly and she is losing it a little bit. And I have to be so careful with my irritability there. And I do snap out sometimes and I have to make amends straight away because I am just that tornado and it isn't just a case of ain't it grandma. So with that, I will pass. Thank you. Thank you, Richard B. Larry K. followed by Kathy K. and then Kim G. Hey, Julie, thanks so much for your service. You know, um, Sometimes we hear it says an alcoholic say the only thing he needs to do is keep sober. I, you know, um, quite a number of years ago, I heard Leah share something that just made me smile and stuck with me. And like most of what she says, I just stole it like a thief. And she said, you know, the circus, you know, the, the monkey is off our back. We put the food down, right? The monkey is off our back, but the circus is still in town. The circus is still in town. And, you know, um, being a dry drunk is something that I could relate to because I, I was miserable, yet I was sober. In fact, I was in a, a relatively thin body, and it was miserable. And I was stark raving sober, and I'd give anything to take a bite. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because there's nothing as miserable in my experience, in my personal experience as being unchanged as the, as the result of the instructions that I did not follow, unawakened as, as a result of the steps that I did not take, and yet sober. Because I was like a, you know, maybe like a beautifully wrapped present with a bow, and I had, had all, you know, all sparkly, and all the guests maybe, you know, you see that present, ooh and ah, and yet it was all smoke and mirrors because when the uh, present is unwrapped, there's a big lump of coal inside, you know. It's, um, you know, what's more miserable to be Dorothy who discovers that the wizard behind the curtain is a fraud or to be the wizard who has to keep up the facade day after day and knows in her heart of hearts that she's not changed. She's just... uh 
she's just got a nice shiny bowl. She's got sprinkles on her and she's, she's looking good, but she knows that her walk walk doesn't match her talk talk very much. And that's really beyond the, 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 the imperfections that all of us human beings, you know, will, will have. Certainly none of us are perfect, but there's something distinct. You know, someone who's on the line today that's recovered by the grace of God, not by their own doing, but by the grace of God, and they, all they did is they got out their axe and they chopped some wood. They continue to chop some wood, one among many, you know, and, and as a result of that stuff, the God of their understanding did the, the, the heavy lifting and changed them internally. So they're no longer the wizard behind the curtain who's a fraud. They don't have to keep up a facade anymore. So I know that we're reading about, you know, there's more, more work ahead. You know, we put the, the, the stuff down. We put the substance down. We put the syringe down. Yeah, that's important. That's a good start. And we're doing some work here. Uh, there's my bell. But there's more change to come, right? With that, I'll pass. Thanks, Julie. Thank you, Larry Kay. Kathy Kay, followed by Kim G. Thank you, Julie, for your service. Good morning, everyone. It's Kathy Kay from Boston. I love these paragraphs, and all the shares have deepened their meaning to me. Um, I What I'm thinking about right now is the very first time I did steps eight and nine, and I sat with my husband um, and made a lengthy amends to him um, and remembered uh, uh, my sponsor making sure I understood that although I had a lot I could say to my husband, um, uh, that the real amends was going forward with living amends. Um, and I remember, and it's still so today, that um, there are times when um, I make a mistake or a character defect uh, flares up and I may act in a way which is hurtful, um, and that's when I need to be willing to continue doing the work through a step 10 and making an apology or an amends um, right then and there. So I think what I want to remember about these two paragraphs is um, it's an ongoing process when it comes to the family. Um, I am so grateful for the the recovery that I have today and that equally important, the steps help me to continue doing the work I need to do so I can be the best wife and mother that I can be. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kathy Kay. And Kim G., you're next. Good morning, everyone. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey, and I'm loving all the shares today. And uh, you know, I think it's so easy for us, as I've heard, that we can discount this is this is this part. You know, a lot of the book applies to me as a compulsive overeater, but this part, come on, this is just alcoholics. I only hurt myself. You know, I just sat in my room by myself. You know, I remember reading a study many years ago that talked about the effect of on children. And it said that, you know, they looked at workaholism, 
versus alcoholism. And, you know, workaholics, of course, they're providing for their family. The, the, uh, the, what's going to happen to those kids is going to be a lot less damaging. And what they found, it was the same. Because, you see, the children didn't care why the parent wasn't there. They didn't care if they were in the office working or if they were at the bar drinking. All they knew was that mommy or daddy wasn't there and they weren't a priority. So that's what I have to look at. You know, sometimes I think we're more a blob than a tornado, but the fact is I'm not there. You know, I, I, I had to look at my own life. I, I, I encourage you. I mean, I couldn't do this personally until I got to step nine. I would dismiss this stuff because I couldn't see who I was because I could not differentiate the truth from the false, and my alcoholic life was the only normal one. But I think to myself, you know, vacations, how many of us don't go on a plane because we don't sit on it? How many of us don't go to movies because I personally didn't go anywhere where, where seats had arms on it because I wouldn't sit in it? I wouldn't go on bleachers to watch a kid play baseball because I was afraid I would break the bleachers. You know, we think about the money. Well, I'm, I just spent money on food. Well, what about for me personally? I had Oprah's closet, size 2 to size 20, having to constantly be buying clothes. What about all the medical consequences, the amount of medicine that we have to buy as a result of our compulsive overeating? The gyms, the diet programs, the bariatric surgery. You know, I lived at home until I was 27 years old. I was not self-supporting by my own contributions, believe me. And my father told me he was afraid nobody would hire me when I graduated college because I was so heavy. And yet when I get abstinent, I think everyone should be happy. Well, I don't know about your disease, but my disease, when I get abstinent, my rage goes through the system, the system, my inconsistency, my anger, my paranoia. I mean, after a while, people are going to throw candy bars at me just to shut me up. I need to work this program consistently. You know, and I, and I want to just tell you, you know, for me personally, when I hear that word living amends, to me it's a loophole. Because, see, I don't want to go to someone eyeball to eyeball and admit the damage that I did. I just want to be a little girl now and everyone like me. I have to acknowledge how I hurt people and then make amends for that hurt. And I have to think about it from my perspective. Isn't that true for me? When people have hurt me and then just tried to pretend that everything was okay, that ticked me off. And it's the same when I do that to other people. This is an opportunity for me to repair relationships, my life with God and those around me. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim G. And I want to remind everybody that we're on page 82. If we have no such complications, reading through two paragraphs, in it, Glenn, that the wind stopped blowing. And who would like to share? Russ M. Liz M. Russ M. Russ M. Russ M. Russ M. Russ M. And there was a gentleman before Vasa. Pete B. Pete B. Got it. Okay, we're going to stop there. Russ M. Deborah. God, R, I think. Liz S, Leah M, Pete B, and Vasa O. Go ahead, Russ. Good morning, Jewel. Happy birthday to you. I'm going to say happy birthday to our group. You know what I'm saying. Uh, hello to everyone. Good morning. So, wow. This, like, got me really emotional. Uh, it's it's so upsetting because, for, for me, in my mind and in my spirit, that it's like, yeah, I'm out of the food, but that, do do I have that revolutionary change in every aspect of my life? 
or am I still emotional? Am I still dancing and uh, mingling with the, the devilments? And to be frank with you, there are some that I am, and I battle it, and it's every day. And I understand this is a process. It's just, it's real, it's, <laughs> my analytical mind wants it gone yesterday, and we know that's not going to happen. And I, I just think of the, the things that I've done that I was oblivious to. Like, you know, I came out, and there's not, nothing happened. The tornado went through. We're fine, you know. It just, I hurt so many people, you know, not being present for my, my wife and children. I mean, my wife to say, you're a great guy, Russ, but you're a terrible husband. You know, and these things stick with me. And sure, if you could, if you if you could stay out of the food, that's awesome. You know, you're making a little bit better decisions. But if you're still flipping out, which I do, I can I, I do sometimes, and I struggle and I battle with, or you know, I'm fearful. You know, all, all you know, you know what the book says with the bedevilment. What's the use? What's the use? But do I choose to to be free? or to be shackled again. So we have the this program. You know, I always I always go back to that. Like two years ago, I, I probably would be dead, really, with what I'm going through right now. But I have the program and and we keep working on these things. You know, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. It's a process. They will come off of us. And it's just you gotta do the work and it's not in our time. It's in God's time, and that's you know that's why I set aside prayers is there, man. You know that's why serenity prayer is there, and um and we should use it. It's just yes, great, we got to be abstinent, but that's scratching the surface. That's the little. That's where the process starts. That's where we we walk through the that gate to freedom, but to stay free, you know we got to be aware of everything. We got to totally turn turn. Everything over to God, and that takes work, trust, and faith. And thank God we have this program to do that. So, have a great day. I love you guys. Have a and have a great fourth. Thank you, Russ and Deborah R. Followed by Liz F. Or Deborah B. It was Deborah E. <laughs> this is Deborah E. From recovered in North Carolina. Thank you so much. Um, this one really struck a chord with me this morning. I I was reminded recently of just how much damage I can do in my active addiction. Um, I've only got eight months of recovery in, in vision uh, in OA, but um, I've got a lot of years of recovery from another substance in another one of our 12-step programs. And I was reminded recently... Um, by someone who worked for me 28 years ago, um, she she was an assistant nurse manager for me, and um, I really liked her. She was a very good assistant manager. I, I really had a lot of respect for her, um, but I was in active addiction, and I saw her a couple years ago, and she asked me, she called me later, or she texted me and asked me if she could meet with me. And I met with her, and I thought, oh, how wonderful. You know, she wants to reconnect. Um, and then the reason she wanted to meet with me was to tell me all the damage I had done to her 28 years ago. 
um, and how I had basically devastated her nursing career at the time. Um, and it was, you know, I it, it was wonderful in that I was able to make amends. I just cried. And I told her, you know, I was in active alcoholism at the time, obviously in active food addiction at the time. Um, and I thought, oh, my God. You know, of course, I, I apologize. And I've been making living amends to everyone who's worked for me since I got sober and abstinent. But that poor woman had carried that for 28 years. And it's a good reminder to me that I cannot underestimate the damage that I did. I I have to work this program every day. I have to continue to make living amends and, and really understand that the, I can't minimize the damage I did. Um, and so making amends, even today, you know, that's one that, that came back to haunt me 28 years later, and I had no idea. Um, so it's a very humbling program. But today I'm free. Today she and I are, I wouldn't say friends, but we have clear air between us. And what a wonderful, wonderful program I have that helps me deal with that and helps me be free from that. Uh, so thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Deborah E. Liz S. followed by Leah M. Hi, this is Liz S. in New Hampshire. Um, this is a very important passage for me. I have made, uh, I'm one of eight children, and uh, I was the tornado in my family, without a doubt. And I had to make amends to six of my siblings. And I thought, well, you know, I'm, I'm recovered. I'm in OA. I've lost all this weight. They must know it. They must think it's wonderful. Uh, I don't think they even noticed um, because I was the, I was just looking at page 63 where Bill talks about, you know, we, um, we invariably find that at some time in the past we've made decisions based on self, which later placed us in a position to be hurt. I hurt my siblings deeply over years and years and years. So making amends was a good start. They have not, um, a few of them have not forgiven me. And I don't know how long that process will take. Um, You know, I pray about it. I've reached out. But I think it's very important for me to understand that um, years of damage, can take years of reparation. And the fact that I was, I've been in a program and I've done this for myself and what, it doesn't matter. They are not in a position to think it's wonderful and give me accolades. That alone is a selfish thought and that alone is giving me credit and expecting them to give me credit. And I admit that very humbly because it's something I must acknowledge and must face that that is not there. That's not for them to pat me on the back and say anything. You know, you've done something wonderful. I was a troublemaker for years. Um, I didn't do them physical harm, but I caused a lot of just trouble in the family for years. And that doesn't go away in one year. Uh, it doesn't go away with one amends. It may take more I don't know what it will take. I have a sponsor, I have God. But I wanted to mention that because it was a long period of time 
And when you're a tornado in a family of a lot of siblings, you do a lot of damage. And uh, it upsets me because I can't talk to some of them. So I wanted to get on the line and just say that and know that it either will work out or it won't. But the fact that I'm in a 12-step program is irrelevant to them. And I must remember that. My pass. Thank you, Liz. Leah M, Pete B, and Vata O. Go ahead, Leah. Good morning. Thank you so much, Julie. Appreciate your service. The alcoholic is like a tornado roaring his way through the lives of others. You know, when I read that statement, I think about self-will run riot. Prior to the program of recovery, um, you know, my feelings governed me, you know, and uh, there was this unpredictability because I could be happy as can be at 10 a.m. and rageful at 3 p.m. So there was an uncertainty Um, particularly when I was married, you know, it was like walking in a landmine. You know, what was I going to be emotionally detached? Was he going to walk in and find me angry and rageful? Or was I going to be sullen and depressed? You know, was I going to be withdrawn? Um, You know, how can you live with someone like that when you have no predictability? It certainly engulfs all whose lives, uh, you know, we touch. And, you know, when I look back over my life and I came into recovery young, you know, I was uh, 23 years old, but even looking back at those two decades, there were food stains all over my relationships because there's no statute of limitations on a broken heart. I broke, you know, my parents' hearts, my brother's hearts, my friends' hearts. Uh, I was a creator of chaos and conflict. Um, I may have a smile on my face, but again, this unpredictability you know, was she going to be here? Was she going to be available? Was was Leia going to show up? Um, you know, there was that unpredictability because everything was tethered to my feelings. The program of recovery gave me a tethering because the grace of God will not enter to expel my destructive obsessions until I was willing to be obedient. The program of recovery, <laughs> you know, pushed... The disease pushed me in a corner. It was either I was going to be obedient to my disease, my addiction, or obedient to God. There was no other choice there, nor, no door number three. And, uh, you know, abstinence, of course, necessary, but abstinence is physical. I suffer from a spiritual malady. You know, hence the work continues. I've been blessed, as many people know, with a very large family. I have a tremendous responsibility to be consistent to be predictable. And you know what? I am. I am. I'm consistent. I'm consistent. No matter what interaction I'm having under my roof, people find me stabilized. Why? Because I'm tethered. I'm not, you know, feelings are irrelevant in the spiritual realm. What does God want of me in this conversation? What does this child need of me? What role does God want me to play in this conversation with a husband, with children, with in-law kids, with grandchildren? Who am I supposed to be? What does God want of me? It's a tethering, and that prevents further wreckage. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah M. Pete B, followed by Vasa O. Thank you, moderator. Are you able to hear me okay? I can. My name is Pete B. I'm a compulsive overeater, recovered today by God's grace and mercy. I'm in Pennsylvania. 
what great shares I heard this morning and just really grateful to have this opportunity. And, you know, I, I was thinking, you know, and I think about this often is that my biggest problem is that I want to be treated special for doing the things that I'm supposed to do anyway. You know, I want extra credit for doing what's required. And, and, you know, it's funny, you know, in these 12 step recovery programs, you know, it's the only place where doing the thing that you're supposed to do in the first place is a big deal. You know, you make them, if, if you, if, if there's a wrong, you find your part in it and you make amends for it, you fix it. Right. Like I, I want to, I want to be treated special because I have this disease by people outside of this program. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. I love what was shared earlier, like a more important demonstration. I think our book says a much more important demonstration of these principles lies before us in our homes, occupations, and affairs. I might be wrong with the language, but to me, it says it's a much more important demonstration. And the thing that I find interesting with me is that any time that I, in any relationship that I go to get something, right? Like I want to be the receiver. There's an expectation of reciprocation. I always come up short. I'll, oh, I, I always lose. But any time in a relationship where I go to give, these meetings included, I always receive. I always receive, you know? And part of the reason for that is that in my mind, prior to entering into this, these 12-step recovery programs, is that every, every relationships to me were a transaction. I'll do this and you do that. You did this much, I'll do this much. And relationships by definition are not transactions. They are, only, they are places for me to only give, to only, be, to, to only bring something to. And every time I bring something to, I always get something in return. So I have to look at, you know, like I have to, I have to, ever, I, I, Every day, I have to look to see what I can bring, you know, to my work, to my family, to my homes, to Overeaters Anonymous, to Alcoholics Anonymous. And in return, I get rewarded. But I can't be thinking that what I'm doing is so monumental and special out there in the world. The only place that it's important is on this line and in these ro- those rooms that we go to. And, and, I, and I deserve no special consideration. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, PB. And Vasa O, you're next. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Julie, all for your service. And, and I'm Vasa, grateful, recovered, compulsive reader, calling from Foxville, Massachusetts. Oh, this is awesome meeting. Great sharing. I'm just so grateful that I have found this 12-step program. And um, before I came to Overeaters Anonymous, there was really nothing more that I wanted on the on this earth than just to than just to put the food down, because it was just going to take me. I I would have been no good to my family. I would have been good to myself or nobody. You know, I would be dead by now if I didn't find uh, the program. And uh, I carried a lot of anger and a lot of resentments from my past, you know. Growing up in a dysfunctional home, there was very chaotic. There was no not order. There was no predictability. And uh, so I never, I just didn't know what I was doing myself, you know. And uh, for me, yeah, this, I had to, that, that became number one, to put the food down. And I needed God. I needed 
God to help me. I needed to find a power greater than myself. If I could have done it by myself, I wouldn't have been suffering for 25 years with it. And, of course, with other things. But, number one, I had to put the food down. And I did come for the vanity. And I remember saying, once I lose the weight, I'm just going to go home. I thought my life was just going to be perfect, you know. But I stayed for the sanity. Thank you, God. I sat and listened. Yes, I was unpredictable. I, I did stuff a lot of my feelings down. I, I didn't see myself as a tornado. Um, but I remember at times, you know, my husband would probably leave me in the morning in a good mood, and he didn't know what kind of wife he was going to find because of all the work I had to do and the people pleasing and caretaking, and I was not taking care of myself, you know. So I had the different, different, um, the, there was different sides of me. There was happy, there was angry, there was sad, there was a lot of fears and anxieties, but I had no clue. And I just, thank God, I stayed in the program and I've never left it because I know what I heard from people I came and left. Or never, some of them never came back because I've lost people through death because of this disease. So I'm here to just share my own experience and I, how I identify with this big book. And I'm going to say, well, I'm not an alcoholic. I don't belong here. They said, just cross, out, cross alcohol, put food there. And I'm so grateful the way the steps are laid out. I have more order in my life today. I am predictable today. I, you know, my kids can count on me. I have jumps now. Thank you for letting me share in our pass. Thank you, Baca. Oh, and we have about a minute and a half, and I hope people don't mind, but I would like to take that since Julie R. recovered compulsive overeater. You know, I was the one who had those such complications. So, you know, I had to do more than just be abstinent and stop that one behavior. Um, I had to look at my entire life and give everything to, to God because, you know, just being abstinent is just the bare beginning. I cannot um, be unblocked if I'm in the food. So step one, right, or step zero if you want, put the food down with however you have to do it, and work these steps. And when I'm abstinent, I can hear my creator. But then I have to take action. You know, I was that tornado. I mean, I took people and I spit them out. But you know what? I was abstinent. Well, that didn't get me anywhere. And, you know, it doesn't, you know, I need to walk my talk. I need to do that in all areas of my life. And when it says we feel a man is unthinking when he says that sobriety is enough, it's not enough because I have been abstinent many times, but I was still that same manipulative, dishonest, controlling, vindictive woman. But yet I could go to meetings and say, yeah, I have two years. Yeah, I have three years. Yeah, I have four years. Who would want that kind of life? This this process promises us that we are going to be a totally different person. We're going to have a spiritual awakening, a spiritual experience. And how does that happen? By doing the work and being there, being of service. And uh, I am so glad that 
I don't have a wreckage a mile wide behind me. I clean up my stuff, and the stuff is rare that I have to clean up. And with that, I pass. So it is now time to close our meeting. The share ID for today, Tuesday, July 3rd, is 11,612. I would like to thank everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And will Rachel W. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Hi, Julie. It's Rachel W. Happy birthday. What a great way to celebrate your day. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.